0: Proverbs 1, 1-7 The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel For gaining wisdom and instruction For understanding words of insight For receiving instruction in prudent behavior Doing what is right and just and fair For giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 119, often attributed as a prayer from David to God. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. We're looking this morning at the
1: the value, the benefits, the blessings of Scripture in our lives. It was Paul who wrote, The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Now just think about those words for a moment. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in the history of the world when there was more of a gap between God's wisdom and that of human beings. Like, I think the gap right now between God and His wisdom and human beings where they're at is about as great as it has ever been. The fact is that those of us who live in Western society... We know a lot of facts, we have a lot of possessions, and we have a lot of fun, but we're not necessarily very wise. In fact, I would say that we may well be fools in comparison with generations that have gone before us simply because we don't take seriously the wisdom that God himself offers to us. And so in our world, in our society, wisdom has been substituted by information. And that's what we do. We turn on our computers and we've got the World Wide Web and we've got mountains of information available to us, but there isn't a whole lot of wisdom there. You have to search for some wisdom. We have entertainment right at our fingertips constantly. Like, you don't have to go out of your home to watch a movie. You don't have to go out of your home to in any way be entertained. And we have pleasure-seeking as one of the major motivations, it seems, for everything. But not much wisdom, I would say. Well, what exactly is wisdom? We try to come up with definitions about wisdom. Knowledge that is gained by having many experiences in life, we might call wisdom. The natural ability to understand things that most other people can't understand might be thought of as wisdom. Or knowledge of what is proper or reasonable or right or good. And we we tend to kind of go toward that third definition, I would think, as Christians. We see a certain moral standard. We say, this is what wisdom represents. But I have some questions for those who would say that wisdom lies here. I would like to know what experiences exactly is it, in A, that lead to wisdom? What are those experiences? And whose experiences are they? Is it just any old experiences that we can have? Experiences of any kind are going to lead us to be wise? I certainly would say no. There are some experiences that you could have that would make you, in fact, look more foolish than wise and might move you down a path toward more foolishness. What are the best things to understand? We might understand things that most other people don't, but what if you don't understand the right things? And who is it that's going to establish exactly what the right things are that we need to understand? What if we understand lots about nothing? What if we understand lots about that which is meaningless? What if we understand that which is detrimental? So there's lots of things that we can understand, but I'm not sure that all of that is helpful. And who will decide what is proper, reasonable, right, or good? Will it be Shane? Maybe we should let you decide for us what's proper and reasonable and good and right. And that would work fine, I suppose, if you happen to be from Malaysia, like he is, and so you have all of the standards that he has, all his experiences, all his knowledge is going to cause him to say that certain things are proper and good, right, But then we look at Wayne and we say, well, Wayne's going to be the one. And we find that Shane and Wayne, although their names rhyme, their thoughts do not. And so who will decide for us what is the kind of knowledge that we need? And of course, we would say this morning, and the point is that God's wisdom, God's wisdom... Not just any old wisdom, but God's wisdom is found in the pages of the Christian scriptures. And so, if you've ever thought to yourself, I would like to be wise, there is a place to go for wisdom, and it's found within the pages of the scriptures. Carrie Clark was telling me just before uh, we entered this morning that there's a new ladies' Bible study. She wanted me to announce this. There's a new women's Bible study that begins on Thursday, November 13th, from 6.30 to 8.30 at her home. It's going to happen every other Thursday night. They're going to do an in-depth Bible study of some Beth Moore material. All the ladies are invited. And the fact is it fits perfectly with what we're doing this morning to mention that there is a new Bible study that's going to take place among us. Because it's in the study of the scriptures that human beings are put in touch with that which is wise. Uh, the second reading
2: is taken from the book of uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 14 to 17, and Psalm 119, 9 to 16, lastly from Psalm 119, just 1, verse 105. So I will start reading from 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learn it, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, revoking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that... The servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, 9 to 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have given, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recant all the laws that comes from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path.
1: We looked at a moment moment ago at the vacuum that exists with respect to wisdom in our culture. And I do think that there is a vacuum with respect to wisdom. The question is, where will we gain wisdom? One of the things that uh, we tend to depend on in our world, in our society, is the notion of education. If we can just teach people the right things, they will indeed gain wisdom. And we talk a lot about training and mentoring. If you go to any kind of job situation, someone wants to train you. Oftentimes there's some kind of mentor that will put along with you. And so we end up talking about education, training, and mentoring a lot of the time. And those are good things for sure. There's no doubt that uh, to educate one another, training, mentoring, those are good things. But I have a question about the ultimate things. Like who is it that is going to train us and teach us and to mentor us regarding the most ultimate things in life? Like, who is it that's qualified to teach us these ultimate things? Is there anybody who's really wise when it comes to the biggest questions of life? Is there anybody who's really qualified to give us the information that we need, especially with respect to those huge questions, like origins, how did this world come to be? How did this universe start? Can we, can we get information from the very best scientist or the very best mentor when it comes to those kinds of questions and they're going to answer for us all the answers? And I tend to think no. Or when it comes to the big questions of right and wrong, where are we going to find answers to those kinds of questions? And then what if it, it's the case that we simply have no mentor? whose teaching and education and mentoring is so flawless and their example so perfect and their understanding so complete that they're the ones to whom we should go. And it might be that you're thinking of someone right now. You might have someone in your life who really is a mentor for sure. But can that mentor answer all the ultimate questions? And here's a good reason why they can't. It's because we live in an age of fallen leaders. We live in an age of an amazing amount of distrust. An age where there are so many voices, so many claims out there for someone to be that source of truth. And yet we all know that we don't trust them any longer. And so I can remember when I was 13 years old or so, going on a trip with a, a school group along with a teacher of mine, and we went to New York City and Washington D.C. and Philadelphia and we traveled around, it was quite an educational experience, and I remember very clearly what it was like to be in Washington D.C. driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden my teacher kind of gave me the elbow, and he said, see that wall right there? And I can remember it was a kind of a, a curved brick wall, and mounted in the brick wall, you know, the the wall was maybe 150 feet long, uh, 15 feet high, and mounted in the wall, as we drove around this corner, it was kind of curved, was this big brass sign that said, Watergate Apartments. And he elbowed me and he said, that's the place. And of course, I'm 13 years old, and I'm like, the place of what? What? But, of course, that was the place at which the U.S. presidency was being taken down. And it wasn't just the U.S. presidency that was being taken down. That was the place at which we learned to be distrustful. And we stopped trusting like we previously had trusted in leadership. Where will we go then? For a trustworthy voice. And I would say that Scripture is informing and guiding and creating of understanding. And it's to that place that we need to go for wisdom
3: and to be guided. I'm going to read from Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And then afterwards, I will turn to Psalms 119 and read from verse 49 to 56. So beginning, Matthew, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up. In their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So Psalms now, 119, beginning in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint but I do not turn from your law I remember your ancient laws O Lord and I find comfort in them Incignation grips me because of the wickedness who because of the wicked who have forsaken your law your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge In the night I remember your name O Lord and I will keep your law This has been my practice I obey your precepts
1: For the most part, I think here in Calgary, we would consider ourselves fairly blessed. Certainly blessed uh, beyond what many people in the world are blessed. Every now and then I'll have occasion to talk to somebody who's gone through, say, the 2008 downturn and they start talking about how terrible it was. And I think, how horrible was it in Calgary? And the fact is, is that for many of us in Calgary, it didn't really impact us that much. God has blessed us richly. That's one of the reasons that last week... Uh, we were able to give to the special contribution for Northern Hills, $24,500. Praise the Lord. And yeah, isn't that fantastic? And that, that happened because God has blessed us richly. And we have the ability to do things like that. And he plants something on our hearts and we're able to, to bless others because of the blessings we received. And I just praise God thank you very much for what you gave. God has done something there. His his spirit has been active. The fact is, however, that not all of us can say that it's just been wonderful the whole time that we've been alive. For the most part, yeah, we experience good things. But you know and I know that there are some sitting among us who haven't had it quite as good. There are moments of struggle, there are moments of weakness. And whether the weakness and the struggle comes because of a health problem or it, becomes, it comes because of a financial problem or it comes because of a sin problem. And we're tempted. You know, oftentimes in the New Testament it will talk about trials and temptations and it's essentially the same word. Trials and temptations. And so a trial comes to you like a health trial and a temptation comes to you like a sin temptation and there's not all that much different sometimes in the terms of the impact they have on our lives. We've all had moments of of uh, discouragement, moments when encouragement was needed, whether it's, again, encouragement to, to uh, stand against the temptation or stand against the, the pressure of a trial that could be tragic for us. And, and there are times when, when no one, when no human being has the ability to provide comfort or to give us the solution that we need. Sometimes it just isn't there. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been at the hospital, or I've been in someone's home, and a tragedy has come into their lives. And you know, I, I came out of uh, graduate school thinking that I would have all these wonderful words to say to people who were in such tragic circumstances, that I would be able to, to give them the exact words that would just ease their pain and take away uh, all their problems because I had been so blessed by God I should be able to just bless them in such wonderful ways but you know when when I find myself in those circumstances a lot of times I'm without the words I, I I have nothing really to say to somebody that's going to give them the ultimate kind of comfort sometimes I'll say to them I wish I had a magic pill I wish I could give you a magic pill that would take away all of your pain right now, but I have no such pill. And you know, people do try pills. You think of all the people who try and get rid of the problems in their lives with with various medications, illegal and legal. And whether it's heroin or it's alcoholism, in one sense it's a pill trying to get away from the problems that we endure. And so, even though I don't have a pill, people try their own pills. And it's not successful. It doesn't work. And people stay in the pain. They feel the harshness of life. And it's hard to know what to say. But I'm blessed in that. Although my presence doesn't really do anything, And the presence of another may not do anything because the pain just runs too deep and the challenge is too great. Nonetheless, we can turn to the Lord. And the Lord provides words of strength. He provides words of comfort. And His Spirit, through those words comes to the human heart that's in agony and experiencing tragedy, and the Spirit, in a way that we can't begin to comprehend, will, through His Word, work on someone's heart and on their mind, in their own spirits, in their own emotions, and begin to ease and take care of within them the pain that they experience. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does through the Word as He washes us clean and then gives us great comfort through the words that god gives us in the pages of holy scripture and so comfort can come not in the form of a magic pill but in the form of life giving words from god
4: I'm going to read from romans chapter 1 the first 2 verses i therefore urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, a selected series of verses from Psalm 119. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight.
1: Is there anybody here this morning who doesn't wish they could change something about him or herself. Now, just think. There's something about you that isn't perfect that you'd like to see changed. And if you can't think of something, come and let me talk to you and I'll be able to find something, I'm sure. So we're talking today about a powerful Word from God that has the ability to transform and change us from being the people that we are. And so I'm not talking about plastic surgery. I'm not talking about hair implants. I'm not talking about elevator shoes. What I'm talking about is an answer to the age-old excuse. And here's what we say. You've heard us say this. That's just the way I am. My, my grandson says that. Like, like he's three years old. And so he was doing something one day. And, you know, his mom got on him about it. And he says, he looks at his mother and he goes, Well, I'm Easton. And that's just how I do things. <laughs> and he's learned, apparently, that that's just who we are. And that's what we say. That's who I am. I can't be changed. God made me this way, we say. And I just find it fascinating when Christians say, well, God made me this way. I can't be changed. And they use their personality types. Okay? People use their personality types as excuses. Why am I cold and unloving? Well, that's just my personality. Really? God made you that way. Why am I not a better servant of others? Well, you know, it just isn't in me to put myself out like that. Some people can do that, but I can't. Really? God made you that way? Why am I so easily caught up in sin? Well, I just can't help myself. I thought that God would not tempt us beyond what we could stand. Why am I so stubborn? Because my mother and my grandmother were the same way. It's just a genetic process that I'm part of and I can't do anything about that. That seems strange to me. The fact is, is that perhaps you cannot help yourself, but God can. God can change you. One of the beautiful things about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that so many of the things that nature put in us, the Holy Spirit can take out. The Holy Spirit can change these things about us that we would like to see changed, but what we say is, no, I can't be changed. This is just how I am. Romans 12, 1 and 2 that was just read talks about the renewing of the mind, a transformation that takes place within us as the Holy Spirit begins to work and make us different people than we were in the beginning. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He sanctifies us. He moves us forward. He changes us. We become something other than we are. And so how does the Holy Spirit change us? How is renewal of our minds to take place? Well, I think one of the ways for sure is for us to be exposed to the Spirit's work through Scripture. If the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, if the Holy Spirit is responsible for Scripture, then it makes total sense to me that He would use Scripture to transform the human heart and mind. Something happens when we read the Bible. Some of it actually gets through. And sometimes, despite ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just reading. But when you read on the Word of God, it's not just words you're reading. It's... The guidance of the Holy Spirit that is part of your reading. It's the presence of the Spirit in your life. Infusing you. Coming into you. Altering you. Changing you. Some of it gets in. We've heard the expression garbage in, garbage out. Well, what if you don't put in garbage? What if what you put in is the word of God? We've heard it said, you are what you eat. I can remember when I was about 14, standing on about the 15th or 16th floor of the Sheraton Palace Hotel in downtown San Francisco, and it was Nixon's administration, and the students at the University of California at Berkeley hated the Vietnam War, and Nixon was coming to speak in the hotel where I was staying. It just happened to be. I wasn't there for him. It just happened to be that Nixon was coming to speak in the hotel when I was there. And so they locked us up in the hotel. They wouldn't let us go down. We couldn't go down on the first floor. I tried to go down on the first floor uh, so I could maybe get a glimpse of the president. The, elevator's door, the elevator door opened and Clint Eastwood was standing right there. And some woman was in the, ho- the elevator with me and she went, oh, like that. And then the door shut because the Cer- Secret Service wouldn't let us go out. So they shut the doors. I had to go back up. But I remember looking out the window and there were thousands of students from Berkeley down on the intersection below. And so i 'm looking down you know 15 or 16 floors, whatever it was, at thousands of students down in the intersection, and, and there 's a whole line of policemen on uh, mounted police on, on horses, and, and the students are chanting because Nixon is coming down the street in his, in his limousine with his the motorcade, and the students are chanting, "You are what you eat? Nixon eats Dad, i can 't say it." <laughs> And that's what we think sometimes. And then there's a sense in which it's true. But what if you feed on the Word of God? What if you meditate on His Word day and night? And that's what is injected into your minds and into your hearts. The living and active instruction of God, which can make you wise unto salvation. That's what we find in Scripture. And that's why we need to be thinking, meditating, focusing upon the Word of God that changes and transforms our hearts. You are not necessarily right now what you have to be. Because the word of God can transform you and change you. That's what the Holy Spirit does with his word.